Ready to roll? All right, open up in your Bibles to John chapter 12. You're a little scaring me a little bit today. You're like still in a tryptophan coma or something like that from the turkey. I'm going to have to get my work cut out for me here. But in John chapter 12, we're moving through our book of John here. I'm going to do something, God willing, today that I don't usually do. Finish a chapter. I don't usually do this. That's it. We've been in this chapter all year, literally. So uh, John chapter 12, down by verse 44, is where we'll be. John chapter 12. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. John chapter 12. Now, um, people, people tend to pay special attention to the last of anything, right? When it's like the last of something, you tend to pay special attention to it. I was thinking some examples, right? The final game your favorite sports figure plays. You know, people tend to pay special attention to that. I think of, uh, I'm a basketball person. That's why I drive back and forth to basketball practices. But you know what? I think of like Kobe Bryant's final game, right? A 60-point masterpiece. You know, so many people watching Kobe's final game. You know why? Because it was his last one. Uh, we think of the final performance, right, an actor or a singer is going to give. I think of uh, uh, the Beatles' last jam in 1969. They got together one last time on that rooftop, I think it's San Francisco, and they had their last public appearance, and a lot of people watched. Why? Because it was the last time they were going to be singing together. I think about the final speech, maybe, a president or a politician gives. I think of, a, maybe you didn't watch it, but I did, Eisenhower, 1961. He gave a farewell address, and he warned the American people against the encroaching powers of the military-industrial complex. I mean, wow. I mean, it's something you should all watch. The guy was speaking truth over there. A lot of people pay attention because it's the last. Usually when it's the last of something, you do something special, and you're paying special attention. And in John chapter 12, hello, Jesus Christ is delivering his final message to the nation of Israel. His last kind of public appearance when he's going to preach to the, to the crowds. Why is it his last one? Because in John chapter 13 through 16, Jesus Christ is going to be in that upper room bidding farewell to his disciples only. That's a little private meeting he's going to have. In John chapter 17, Jesus Christ is still going to be in that upper room and he's going to be praying to his heavenly Father. Amen. And then in John chapter 18, Jesus Christ is going to leave there and he's going to get arrested in the garden and put through that sham trial. And then in John chapter 19, Jesus Christ is crucified on Calvary's hill and gives up the ghost. So John chapter 12 is like, this is it. This is his last Public appearance. This is his last public message before he gets tucked away, gets delivered over to Pilate, and gets crucified. And right here in verse 44, I want us to pay special attention. Because in his last public appearance, in his last public message to the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ gives Israel its final warning. He says some very sobering things. John 12, 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Woo! When you put that in context, that that's his last like public speech to the nation of Israel, it makes it seem a lot more sobering, doesn't it? Like a lot more uh, impressive, doesn't it? A lot more that we need to pay attention to. So think about what he just said. What is the Lord emphasizing in his last message? What are we supposed to notice in this final appearance? What should you pay attention to in Israel's final warning? 
That's what I want to like maybe unpack a little bit. Israel's final warning. What he said to them, what he might be saying to us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. Lord, just give us that attentive ear, Lord, that attentive mind, that attentive heart. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to hear what you have to say, Lord. See what you have to show us, Lord. These are your last words to your nation in public. And I I pray, Lord, we'd be able to glean something from the object lesson Israel is supposed to be to us. I pray you'd bless your people, strengthen your people, feed your people, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, number one, right there in verse number 44. I want to say, number one, this. In Israel's final warning, I want you to notice that Jesus Christ reminds them of God's words. He reminds them that what he is saying to them are God's words. Look at verse 44. Look where he starts this last message. Look what he says here. It says, Jesus cried and said, Woo! He didn't just speak. He didn't just mumble. He didn't just whisper. It says, Jesus Christ cried and said, Jesus Christ lifted up his voice and exclaimed to the nation and exclaimed to the multitude. It's like he's stepping back and saying, hey, this is your final warning. And look what he goes on to talk about in verse number 44. He goes on to say, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Are you getting it? (laughs) Jesus Christ is boldly declaring that he is God. You're looking at me, you're looking at God. You're listening to me, you're listening to God. It's like he's looking at his people after three and a half years. He's saying, hey, are you finally going to get who I am? Before I check out of here, you're finally going to see and realize who you've been looking at, who you've been rejecting, who's been talking to you. It's God who's talking to you. It's God you're looking upon. And Jesus Christ had been showing and telling Israel for years that he was God manifest in the flesh. These people say Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because Jesus Christ very explicitly and implicitly, by what he said with his mouth, what he showed with his deeds, he was announcing to the world, hey, I am God manifest in a body of flesh. Go to John chapter 5. I'll show you some of those unmistakable moments that led to this last warning. John chapter 5, look at verse number 15. You know, in John chapter 5, verse number 15, Jesus Christ is going to empower a lame man to walk again. You know what they want to do? He empowers a lame man to take up his bed, and they want to put Jesus Christ down. Isn't that crazy? John chapter 5, verse 15, he just healed this man who had an infirmity for 30 and 8 years. And in verse 15, it says, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, up meaning up to this point, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, watch it, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They knew exactly what he meant when he said that, and he raises this man up, and instead of celebrating, they want to put Jesus Christ down. That's what's going on. Go to chapter 8. He does it again in chapter 8. In chapter number 8, John chapter 8, Jesus Christ again does something miraculous, does something wonderful. Jesus Christ saves an adulteress from stoning. He shows her mercy. You know what they want to do? They want to stone him. What a payback. What a, what a retribution. And at the end of this chapter, in verse 56 of John chapter 8, look what happens. Your father, Jesus is speaking. He tells these Jews, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Is he talking weird? No, he's quoting Exodus chapter 3 when Moses says, What's my, what what do I tell them your name is? And he says, Tell them, I am, hath sent you. And now he says, Hey, before Abraham was, 
I am. And you know what they did? Verse number 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Yet again, Jesus Christ is evoking the fact that, hey, I'm the God of the Old Testament. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the one who was in the burning bush that appeared to Moses, and they want to kill him. John chapter 10. All these people say, oh, Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. That was a late reading added in. But you are, I don't know what Bible you're reading because it's all over mine. John chapter 10, verse number 27. Again, Jesus Christ is going to offer the sheep eternal life and they want to kill the shepherd. Crazy, isn't it? Isn't it crazy? John chapter 10, verse 27. These are beautiful words. My sheep hear my voice. Are you listening? And I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then they, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a, good work stone we, uh, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Woo, they knew. They knew who he was. Do you know who he is? He tried to remind them at the end, hey, I'm God, in case you missed it. I'm God who's talking to you. I'm God you're looking at. I'm God you're dealing with. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. You know, Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to flip around a little bit, warm ourselves up. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 here. Isaiah 40. Um, You know, Israel should have known their coming Messiah would be God manifest in the flesh. It wasn't supposed to be a surprise. It wasn't supposed to be a shocker. They should have known that the Messiah that came was going to be God manifest in the flesh. It was supposed to be God. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Now, a little background about Isaiah. Book of Isaiah is a mini Bible, right? It's a great internal evidence that this Bible was put together by God. There are 66 books in your Holy Bible, okay, right? Not, not... Not anymore, right? That Apocrypha is not Scripture. So 66 books in your Holy Bible. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. The chapters in Isaiah correspond with the books of the Bible. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1, it talks about a rebellion. In Genesis chapter 1, it talks about a rebellion. In Isaiah, uh, in, in the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. It's the 39th book of your Bible. You know what the last word of Malachi is? Curse. The Old Testament ends with a curse because the Old Testament was the curse, right? The curse of the law the Bible speaks about. You know what Isaiah 39 talks about? In Isaiah 39, 6, it talks about a curse that was going to come upon the people. So that would mean Isaiah 39 ends with a curse. Malachi ends with a curse. That means the 40th chapter of Isaiah would line up with the 40th book of your Bible, which is Matthew. And who shows up in Matthew? John the Baptist preaching about Jesus Christ coming. And in Isaiah chapter 40, look what we see. We go from curse to comfort, from something dark to something good, from a people lost with impending judgment to comfort and hope. Because in Isaiah 40, guess who's a showing up? The Messiah is showing up. Jesus is showing up. Isaiah 40, verse 1, the first word is, comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And now we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 40, which lines up with the book of Matthew, a prophecy of John the Baptist coming to herald the Messiah's entry. And Isaiah 43 sounds just like Matthew 3. 
the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. There is a prophecy of John the Baptist. Again, if you think the Bible was written by men, you might be using Bible pages to smoke something because this book is not put together by men. That's one of the many internal evidences that the consistency of this book screams loud and clear that there was a mind over it all putting it together. Right? Isaiah didn't even number his chapters. How did Isaiah 40 end up lining up with the book of Matthew? Because of God. Because God was over some stuff, getting that book together so it could sit in your lap. And I want you to notice what John the Baptist is preaching about. Who's he getting the people ready for? Prepare ye the way of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. What does he say? Make a highway for our capital G-O-D, God. He was getting the people ready for God. The Messiah would be God. Your God is coming. Look at verse number nine. You want to see it again? Here it comes again. Now he shows up. Verse nine of Isaiah. O Zion, that bringest good tidings. It's good news to know that God's coming to get you, isn't it? Get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That's the one who's coming to deliver you. Verse 10, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. You ever hear Jesus say that in the book of Revelation? Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Man, oh man, he is coming. And when the Messiah was going to come to Israel, it's all over the Old Testament. He'd be God, capital G-O-D, God. And you want to see what's right smack in the middle of that? Verse number four. In the middle of John the Baptist... And this Messiah showing up, I want you to notice, in the middle of all that, in talking about God coming, the Lord mentions God's word standing forever. Verse 4, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, clearly second coming, and all flesh shall see it together, clearly second coming, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it The voice said, cry. And he he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Brethren, why is that stuck right in there? Because... God's coming, and God's word is what you're relying on, man. And Jesus Christ, in John chapter 12, is reminding Israel that he is God. Why? To remind them that, hey, guys, I'm giving you God's words, the words that are going to stand forever, the words you can't escape. Guys, if Jesus Christ has been giving you God's words, you best pay attention. You better pay some serious attention. You better turn the phone off, turn the synagogue off. Whatever's occupying your mind back then, like occupies your mind right now, if it's God speaking, you better turn everything off and say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You better say, I'm going to give you some attention, Lord, for this 40 or 50 minutes that we got here. I'm going to try to give you some attention. That's what Jesus says in his last message. Hey, I'm God, and God's speaking to you. Why? Because he's trying to get their attention because these are not the words of some schmo on the street. These are the words of God I'm declaring to you. Hey, if he's only a great teacher and not God, what makes Jesus Christ's command so special? Eh, He's just an interesting philosopher got some nice philosophical mores that might improve your, relieve some of your dynamic tension and help you, you know, coalesce with your fellow man and live in peace and harmony, right? He's just one of a million other books in the Library of Congress that sits there collecting dust on the shelves. If he's just a great teacher and not God. Hey, if Jesus Christ was just a miracle worker and not God, how do you know his words can be trusted? 
How do you know he's not trying to pull one over on you? How do you know he's not trying to sell you snake oil? How do you know he's not trying to get your money, get your stuff, get you know, whatever people try to get from you? Go to John chapter 7. Can I tell you, though, in Israel's final warning, Jesus Christ reminds them what he'd been saying all along, that the words I'm telling you are God's words. The words I'm giving you are God's words. I'm telling you, he's like, I'm telling you what God is saying because I'm God and I'm speaking for God. I'm his prophet. I'm his man. I'm giving you God's words. Look at John 7. He's been saying it all along. John 7, verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters having never learned? He didn't go to seminary, I mean cemetery, I mean seminary. How, do, how does he know? You know? You know, you talk to people, it's funny, you talk to people, you tell them you preach, oh, where'd you go to school? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I did 20-something years in a Bible institute. I don't know, I, I think I learned some stuff, you know. I mean, <laughs> I don't have any degrees, you know. Uh, John chapter five, verse 15, and the Jews marveled, 16. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, whether I speak of myself. You've been telling them all along, I'm not making this up, guys. I'm not just pulling this rabbit out of my hat. This is what God is saying to you, Israel. These are God's messages. These are God's words. And if you put them to the test, you'll know it's of God. If you're not saved here today, I dare you to go home, shut the doors, get down on your knees and ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. See if nothing happens. I dare you. I double dare you if you prove God. Go to John chapter 8. I want to show you. He's been telling them like he's been telling us. Like John 8 verse 26. He says this. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. All along he'd been telling them, I'm giving you God's words, I'm giving you God's words, I'm giving you God's words, I'm giving you God's words. Are you getting it? That he's giving you God's words? Are you getting it? That you got God's words? Are you getting it? Because he says, that's what I want you to get in my final warning. And if you go back to John chapter 12, I want you to see there he says it again in Israel's final warning in his last public appearance, Jesus Christ is confronting us like he confronted them with what it is you're hearing, what it is I'm telling you, what it is you're dealing with right now, what it is I want you to ponder and apply to your lives. He says in verse 49, for I have not spoken of myself, but the father which sent me. John 12, 49. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. At the last, at the last thing he says as a free man to his nation. You know what he says? Guys, I have been telling you what God said. I have been giving you God's word. I have been sharing with you, preaching to you God's commandments. And he confronts them with the authority of what he's been saying. And if he could right now, he'd confront you with the authority of what he's saying. That book is not just a bunch of religious teachings so you raise your kids right and you don't, you know, slaughter your wife. You know, that's what it's for. That book is not there to just help you be a better citizen and have peace and calm in your spirit. That book are the commandments of God. The one who made your heart that's beating. The one that holds your breath in the palm of his hand. It's God that's been speaking to you. He confronts them and he confronts us. It's a little bit of a dilemma you're in. Because if you say that book is God's words, what are you doing with it? You know, C.S. Lewis, you've heard of him, C.S. Lewis. He did something he called his trilemma. You've heard of a dilemma or dilemma when you're between two things? He said, no, people got a trilemma. You're actually between three things. And it all depends on who you think Jesus Christ really is. And in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. 
That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse, the trilemma. You can shut him up for a fool, you could spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Wow. He said it straight. So can I put it on you a little bit? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Liar? Lunatic or Lord? If you say he's Lord and accept he's Lord, do you accept that his words are God's words? Oh, you just set yourself up. Some of you were smart. You kept yourself quiet because you knew I was setting you up. Because you accept and believe that those words you hold in your lap are God's words. What have you been doing with this book? You confess that they're God's words. You confess he's Lord. What are you doing with them? How much are you searching them? That's number one. In Israel's final warning, he reminds them, hey, these are God's words I've been telling you. And if this was my last message that I was preaching, guess what I would try to tell you? Hey, those are God's words we got to deal with. Not my words or anybody else's words up here. Those are God's words we got to deal with. What do we give people? God's words. What do we print and publish and hand out? God's words. What is this whole thing about? God's words. Number two, in Israel's final warning, Jesus Christ reassures them that God only wants to help. Got that? I know it came on strong with that first point, but you know what the second point is that you see in his last message? That he only wants to help. Isn't that a blessing? He could have crushed you. He says, is not my word like as a hammer? You know what you could do with a hammer? You could, they, they do it in the places where they ban guns. What do you think people do? They reach for knives and hammers, right? So you find people, again, killed with hammers in other parts of the world. You know, they got hammers. You know what a hammer could do? You walk in here swinging a hammer, you could kill somebody with that hammer. But you know what you could do with a hammer? like a carpenter can do with a hammer, build something. And that's what Jesus wants to do with his word. He wants to build you up. He wants to make something out of you. He wants to strengthen you and support you. He reassures them in his last message, hey, I came here to help. You know, in John chapter 5, we read it before, Jesus Christ gave an impotent man strength. He let him walk. Why? Because he wanted to help Israel walk with God again. That was the picture. I want you to walk with God again, Israel. I'm here to help you walk with God again, Israel. We read before in John chapter 8, Jesus Christ shows the adulterous woman mercy. You know why he did that? Because he wanted to show Israel mercy. Israel was that harlot. Israel was that adulterous woman that had been stepping out on God for generations. And he shows up and says, I want to show you mercy, Israel. That's why I'm going to show this lady mercy. And in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ promised eternal life to his flock. Why? Because he wanted to be Israel's good shepherd. He wanted to lead them into the promised land again. He wanted to lead them into the kingdom. And in John 12, 46, look what he says here. These are beautiful words, even though they're a little bit of a little strong. He says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You know what Jesus Christ does? He reassures Israel what he told them so many times before. He says, guys, I'm here to help. I'm here to be a light. I'm here to get you out of your darkness. And dear brethren, please never misunderstand God's intention. God Almighty wants to help you. Right? He wants to be the light to help you out of your darkness. He wants to be the light that leads you out of your dark valley. Go back to John 1. I want to show you. He's always been trying to show people that. Go back to John 1. John 1, 1. Look at this. John 1, 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. That's the pre-incarnate title for Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, this is the Word, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know what he's going back there? He's going back to Genesis chapter 1. He's reaching back to Genesis chapter 1. And way back there in the beginning, God sent his light to restore what darkness had destroyed. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It looked like everything God made had suddenly been plunged into some kind of chaos, some kind of darkness because of the rebellion of Lucifer and those angels that followed him. You know what God did to fix that? He said, let there be light. That was the solution. God sent his light into a dark situation from the very beginning. Why? To restore and rebuild what darkness, spiritual darkness, had destroyed and plunged the whole universe into chaos. And what does Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ is sent by God into our fallen world. Why? To restore and to rebuild what our darkness had destroyed. Our sin, our darkness, the darkness of man destroyed stuff. You know what God had to do? Let there be light. (laughs) And Jesus Christ shows up. The people, it says, that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And when Jesus Christ walked in, he was light for people in dark. And if you're sitting in the dark today, Jesus Christ wants to be that light. I wish I could impress that upon you. I wish the gravity and the hope and the benefit of that could just be impressed upon you that you'd come to him and not run away from him. He says, I came here to help. You say, who he wants to help? Verse 9. That was the true light, capital L, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You know, God's light wants to help every man. Not just the select or elect few, he wants to help you, sir, you, ma'am. Is he talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you, right? I'm talking to everybody in here. He says, I want a light. There's a part of you that only I can communicate with, God says, and I want to illuminate that darkness that only I, and every man, I was sent to illuminate every man. Would you be that one? Would you be that one? You say, how's he going to do it? Go to John chapter three. How's he going to open my eyes? How's he going to help me? John three. Verse number 18. <clears throat> John three eighteen. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Sometimes that light Shows the warts and all. Sometimes that light shows the blemishes and the imperfections. And that's why people don't want to come to the light. But God's light may expose the darkness, but he's only exposing the darkness to help fix the problem. That's all. Not to rub your face in it. Not to make you feel so miserable that you can never get up from the mat. No, he shows you the problem so he can fix it with you and fix it through you and watch you fix it by applying the principles of this book. That's what he's doing here. Hey, when that doctor said leukemia to us over a year and a half ago, guess what? He didn't do it for, to just rub our faces in it. The doctor said leukemia because he wanted to fix the problem that was killing my son. And when the Bible says sin, and the Holy Spirit says sin, and the preacher says sin, or the discipler says sin, or the message says sin, the Holy Spirit says sin, when this book screams sin, and the great physician says, you got a sin problem, he only wants to fix what's killing you. It's killing you. It's killing your strength. It's killing your joy. It's killing your family. It's killing your walk. You say, but I'm already saved. And it's still deadly, folks. You might be immune to the long-term effects, but in the short term, it can make a train wreck of a whole bunch of stuff. And that shouldn't bother you. You shouldn't run away from that. We've got churches all over the place that are preaching cornflakes from the pulpit, preaching like popcorn and cornflakes, preaching nothing about nothing. And nobody has the guts to say sin is sin, right is right, wrong is wrong. And God says, that's what gets in there. That's what can fix the problem. If I could just get some light in there. But you want no Cheerios, you want Fruit Loops. 
on a Sunday morning. You want just Fruit Loops and sugar. And that doesn't help you. The Bible helps you. Not because anybody is preaching it. Guys are preaching it all over the world. They're trying to stand up for the word of God. Stand up for the truth. Not to be hard. You think there's any joy in being direct like this? No, I love to skirt around it. I love to just stand up here and lean on my stool, get my translucent pulpit, and just sit here with my, you know, my tie off and just say, folks, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you're just special. I can see the divine spark in all of you. And, you know, we just need to let go of those things that cumber us and take away the divine illumination that the Lord wants to bring through all of us because we're all just... No, man, you're a sinner, you need to get saved. You're a saint, you need to live right. It's, that's, that's the simplicity that is in Christ. It's simple, but we don't like it because it, it wounds our pride. And people run away from it. They run away from church, they run away from the Bible, they run away from that book. I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. I hope I'm not getting warmer because I hope that's not you turning away from what the truth is because the truth is supposed to make you free indeed. Man, go to John 8, 12. You know what the scariest thing to do would be? Run away from the light. Run away from the light. Scary thing to do, man. Don't do that. John 8, 12. Let me show you something else about the light. It wants to help you. It wants to help you. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know what he's saying there, folks? Following Jesus Christ is going to only help you find your way. He's not going to get you lost again. He's not going to trip you up again. You know what the devil does? This is what the devil does. Do you want a hint? The devil deceives you into thinking that following Jesus Christ is going to make things worse. It's going to make it so complicated. It's going to make it so hard. What's grandma going to say? What's dad going to say? What are my friends going to say? How's this going to play out? You know, God says, I want to help, I want to fix, I want to restore. The devil says, you can't do that. Look what's going to happen. What will they say? What will they think? What's, oh, your business, your family, your home, your life. Oh, oh you know, it's good. You know, I, just, I just got to work this stuff out and then I'll come to church. I just got to work this stuff out. It's too busy for me to, you know, read my Bible. It's too hard for me to pray. It's just, life is too crazy right now for me to come to services. I just got to step out and, you know, do my thing. Really? You thought that was the Holy Spirit that gave you that instruction? You think the Holy Spirit said close the Bible? You think the Holy Spirit said stop praying? You think the Holy Spirit said forsake the assembling of the saints? That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That's another spirit. That's another spirit saying, yeah, just, 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 you'll be okay. Just, just cool the jets. Just step away from all this stuff. Let everything just calm down. And when everything's calmed down, then, you know, you can get back into church and get back. You just gotta, you just gotta work on you for a little while. And after you've just worked on you, then you, really? You work on you, you're going to walk off a cliff. Don't work on you. Let God work on you. (laughs) On the very contrary, following Jesus Christ is the only way to keep yourself from ending up in a ditch, from making the whole thing train wreck. Those moments when you don't want to read the Bible are the moments when you have to make yourself read the Bible. Those moments when you don't want to pray is when you better stop everything and pray. Those moments when you don't want to go to church and you're just like, I don't want to go to church. That's when you probably should put your shoes on and go to church. If you've got to skip brushing your teeth to make it, skip brushing your teeth. We'll keep six feet distance. But you know what? Just, you got to be there, right? Because it's the devil that's trying to take you away. Go to John chapter 9. You say, you know why you need the light so badly? John 9, 5 is why you need the light so badly. You know why, folks? I'm going to give you some bad news. The world is evil. I know like when maybe we were kids, I'd grown up, you know, I, I didn't know the world was evil. We ran outside my house to play kickball, football in the street every day. You know, I rode my bike and it was simple. But now that your eyes are open a little bit and the thing's rotten more and more, you say, wow, this place really stinks. Wow. I enjoy a sunset. I enjoy a camping trip. I enjoy, you know, going to a lake. I enjoy all those things in creation. But the world, the system, you got to be blind, deaf, and dumb not to see how rotten it is right now. It is rotten. It's just been rotten away. And now you're like, woo, it stinks. It's been out there for a while. And you're like, yeah, it stinks. It does. And if it's that dark and that evil, guess what? You need the light. John 9, 5, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Without Jesus Christ, you are in the dark. Without Jesus Christ, without the sun, you are in the night. 
There's no way around it. John 11, John 11. I know you got your wits about you. I know you got your street smarts and you're savvy and you're all this stuff. But when you want light, illumination, guess what? Without Jesus Christ, you're just walking around blind as a bat going both ways in a storm. You have no idea where you're going. You are lost. John 11, verse 9. Look what he says there, Jesus again. I think he was trying to get us to get the point, right? John eleven nine. 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, that's when the sun is out. He stumbleth not. Because he seeth the light of this world. Christ is the sun, right? But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. He's saying if you don't follow the light, you're going to stumble and fall. You don't have to. Two days ago, I walked into my room. The lights were off. I wanted to do something. I was too lazy. I didn't want to turn the light on. What did I do? You know what I did. Tripped over a laundry basket, smashed a laundry basket, sliced my leg up. I'm okay. It's not bad. Just, you know, I'm just like, oh, if I had just stopped and turn the light on, I didn't have to stumble and fall over that thing that was in front of me. And dear brothers and sisters, if you would just stop and turn the lights on, you wouldn't have to stumble and fall over all the stuff that we stumble and fall over. John 12, 46, look. John 12, 46, he says it again. Let's look at it again. I'm trying to implore you folks, I'm almost done. Will you get the message Israel missed? That God's words, they only want to help you. They don't want to hurt you. They want to guide you. They don't want to destroy you. They don't want to illuminate you. They don't want to leave you in the dark. And he says in John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever, anybody, believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Why would you abide in darkness? Why would you stay in the dark when God's given you his light? Why would you stay in the dark about anything if God's given you his light? Corrie Ten Boom, a lot of you know about her. She was a Christian during a very dark time in this world's history under Hitler's regime. You know what she said? Something I really like. She said a lot of good things, but she said this. Let God's promises shine on your problems, right? Well, if you're in the dark about something, why don't you let the light, let there be light. Open it up and let there be light on whatever it is. You say, I don't know where to look. Ask an older Christian. Ask me. Somebody will show you. Somebody will tell you. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm almost there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at verse 24. Am I making any sense? God's words want to help you. I may get loud, I may scream and yell to kind of get it across because this room is gigantic. And if I don't light myself on fire, none of you are going to watch me burn. So I might be big and animated, you know, to try to get the point across. But you know what? God's words want to help. They just want to help. That's all they want to do is help. That's all they ever wanted to do. And we talked a few weeks ago about the many parallels between Moses and Jesus Christ. Moses was trying to lead a stiff-necked nation into the promised land, and Jesus Christ was trying to lead a stiff-necked nation into the promised rest. They're both very similar. You know what they both said? They both wanted to reassure Israel that God's words were there to help. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us, to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, watch this, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. For our good always. You don't make God any better by believing the Bible. You make yourself better. You don't make God more God that more of you believe in him. You make yourself more godly when you choose to believe in him. God doesn't change. He's the same. His years have no end. But you can become a little bit more like him when you believe his thoughts, when you follow his words. That would be a good thing. What ha- 25, here's the condition. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. He's saying, it's there for you. But what happens to you depends on what you do with this book. And some of you sitting here know what you should do about something, and you just won't do it. You just won't do it. I don't know any inside information. I'm just... Maybe it's just something I ate this morning. But you know what? I get a sense that probably somebody sitting here... In a room this size, God is speaking to somebody about something, 
and you're not doing all of it. You're doing what you like. You're doing some of it. God says, you want to see the payoff? You got to do all of it. You got to do everything you understand to do. What you don't understand, don't do. What you do understand, do. It's about that if. There's that if, if, if. You know, manufacturers have been growing so weary of being sued when their products are misused. So they have attached warning labels to everything now, right? I watched a commercial where people were dancing in the street and it was like, this is a simulation. Please do not attempt this. You know, it's like everything now. There's warnings about everything. Here's one warning. For example, a Batman outfit bears this caveat. Quote, parents, please exercise caution for play only. Mask and cape are not protective. Cape does not enable user to fly. So if you bought that cape at Walmart and the Halloween store was having a sell-off and you grabbed a couple of capes and you want to jump off your roof and you break your head, please don't sue the manufacturer. You didn't heed the warning, right? You didn't heed the warning that this thing is not going to help you fly. Can you go to John chapter 12? What am I saying? God's giving you some warnings. If you break your head, don't blame God. You didn't apply the warnings. You didn't take heed to the instructions. John 12, 47. Everybody, oh God this, oh God that, oh God this, oh God that, oh God nothing. You're the knucklehead. You're the dingbat. You didn't do what God said to do. You know, why is God doing, what is God doing what to you? He's dying on the cross for your sins and giving you hope of eternal life and the promise of victory through the Holy Scriptures if you would obey him. Oh God, why what? A lot of our why God why is why God me. That should be a lot of it. It should be you looking at the mirror and blaming the numbskull you're staring at instead of blaming God. How dare we accuse God? John 12, verse 47. I'm talking to me too. John 12, 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He's saying, I want to save you. I don't want to judge you. So can I challenge you as we finish this idea? What do you do with his warnings? You taking heed or you thinking you're going to be the exception? What would you say to a kid that put on a Batman outfit, climbed on the roof, climbed up on the ladder and said, watch me fly? First I say, Batman doesn't fly. You don't know your comic book lore. I would say, but you know, he put on, okay, he puts on a Superman ca- uh, cape. He said, no, I got a Superman cape now. Superman can fly. Yes, Superman can fly. You can't fly. You wouldn't let a kid do it. You wouldn't let a kid just jump off the roof with a Superman cape that he got a great adventure on the way out. You say, no, 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 that's not for that. And God says, look, you can't do that. You're not going to be the exception. You got to take heed to the warnings. Finally, John 12, 48, number three. In Israel's final warning, Jesus Christ reproves them that God's words will judge them in the end. It says it right there. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. He says, this is the last thing Jesus Christ told his nation was a warning not to reject God's words. If they're God's words and they want to help you, don't reject them. Don't neglect them. Don't turn away from them. God wants to help. But if you refuse his help, if you refuse to heed the warning, the word that you rejected will judge you. That's what he's saying. 1986. Who was alive in 1986? Amen. All right. 1986. All right. Wasn't just the Stranger Things backdrop. 1986, two electrical engineers in the control room at the Chernobyl nuclear site were playing around with a machine in what Soviets later described as an unauthorized experiment. They were trying to see how long the turbine would freewheel when they took the power off. Right? So you see a nuclear plant, if you know anything about it, the, the fission creates that energy, that steam, and that steam turns this giant turbine, and that turning turbine uh, produces the electricity that powers everything that has to power. So they were saying, what happens if we turn the power off? How long will this thing just spin by itself? In order to perform this test, they had to manually override six separate computer-driven alarm systems. One by one, the computer said, stop, dangerous, go no further. And one by one, 
Rather than stopping the experiment, they shut off the alarms and kept going. You know the results. Nuclear fallout that was recorded all around the world from the largest industrial accident ever to occur in the world. And dear brethren, the instructions and warnings in Scripture are just as clear. When we ignore them, we ignore them at our own peril and tragically at the peril of others. Don't ignore the warnings. If you reject God's warnings, you're asking yourself for God's judgment. That's not the play he wants to play. But if you put on the cape and try to jump off the roof and ignore the warnings, you're going to get hurt. If you go past the alarm that says, stop, go no further, you're going to get banged up. And you might not just bang yourself up. You might mess up a whole bunch of people around you. Go to Romans chapter 2. How's God going to judge us in the last day? I'm not going to get into everything about that, but just some spiritual principle here. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. Take it from there. Romans 2, 2. The Bible says, Romans 2, 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to to truth. When God judges you, when God judges me, it's going to be according to truth. Not feelings. Not opinions. Not what grandma said. Not what other Christians said. Not what everybody was doing. It's going to be what God said. Truth is going to be the standard by which God judges you in the last day. And what did Jesus say to his father? Thy word is truth. See, where's the truth? Don't be like Pilate. What is truth? I'll tell you what the truth is. Book, chapter, and verse. That's the truth. Not anybody else's words. Not my words. Not anybody else's ideas. God's. You see how it's all coming together? God's words. God's commandments. God's warnings. The God who wants to help you. If you reject that, that stuff's going to come back against you. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Let me show you something. Daniel chapter 7. Just got... Three stops left. Hurry with me. Daniel 7. All all you're doing is heating up turkey today anyway. Daniel chapter 7. It's good stuff, leftovers. Daniel 7. Daniel 7. Look at verse 9. Daniel 7, 9. Daniel 7, 9. Daniel 7, 9. The Bible says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. He's seeing the whole end of the Gentile age here. He's seeing the whole shebang here. And Daniel says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. All those kings of the world were cast down. And the ancient of days did sit. That's your Savior, sitting on his throne. Whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. Right? That reminds me of what you see over there in in Revelation 1. And look what it says. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. There you are. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. See, the Old Testament predicts that this judgment in the last day is going to be when the books are opened. Want to see it in the New Testament? Go to Revelation chapter 20. Let's see that little phrase again. The books were opened. Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Look at verse number 11. Revelation 20, 11. Last book of your Bible, Revelation. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, there's that ancient of days, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. That's the earth and the heaven are even gone. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. The Old Testament predicts it. The books were open. The New Testament presents it. The books were opened. And if you go back to John chapter 12, we're going to finish right there in John chapter 12. I'll tell you, Jesus Christ told you all along what books will be opened. John 12, verse 48. John 12, 48. Finish right there in John 12. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. Say, what books are going to be opened? Oh, that's easy. The 66 books of the Holy Bible. That's what's going to be open. 
You're going to stand, somebody's going to stand there and say, I didn't know. Really? You didn't know John 3.16? Oh, I didn't know. You didn't know Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You didn't know love thy neighbor as that. You didn't know anything. You didn't know there was a such thing as sin. You didn't know. Let me just, God's got 66 books lined up against us, like 66 canons that convict us. Those are the books that are going to be opened when he judges in the last day. Verse 49, you will be judged for rejecting the God who gave you his words. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And you will be judged for rejecting the God who only wanted to help. And I know that his commandment is life, everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Listen, you can, I mean, you can try to run away from them. You could reject the Bible, quit church, close the book, never read it again. You're just postponing the inevitable. You could try to run away from God. That's like trying to run away from oxygen. You could try to run away from the scriptures. But God's word, it's always going to get you in the end. And it doesn't want to get you. It wants to help you. It wants to bless you. But you can't run away from what God said. You can't beat the Bible. You can't escape it. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. And in Revelation 20, we read it. He's going to sit on a throne and heaven and earth are going to pass away and some books are going to be opened. You're not going to get away from it. You might as well yield to it. You might as well say, Lord, you know what? You know better. The best way I know how, what do I got to do? What do I got to learn? Who do I have to be? You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to memorize the whole New Testament. Just, okay, be angry and sin not. Man, I better work on my anger. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Man, I could be a little more forgiving. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Okay, let me, let me be a blessing to the people around me, right? You could do that. Can't you all do that? Amen. You believe in God, believe also in me. Can you do that? Can you believe? You can all believe. Right? Can you be patient? Can you humble yourself? Can you recognize God? There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. You don't have to chart the second advent and to explain the differences in millennial salvation and tribulation salvation. How about this? Love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Can you do that? Can you love Him? How about this? To obey is better than sacrifice. Keep your money, and when God tells you to do something, do it. Do it. Stop dragging your feet. The book's... They're lined up against you. Just yield to it, man. That's his final warning. That was his final warning. I hope it's not your final warning. People tend to pay special attention to the last of anything. Are you paying any attention to Jesus Christ's last warning to Israel? Let me just walk back over it and then we'll pray. Israel's final warning reminds us that these words are God's commandments. If I could like have 10-foot letters that were neon colored with like flames around them. I would just, God's commandments, right? They're God's words. Don't throw it on the floor when you get home. They're God's commandments. Don't think despite, don't think, ah, it's just what Pat said. It's God's commandments. When you read a verse, ah, don't, when you read a verse or the preacher preaches a verse and it mm, sticks you, don't run away from that convicting feeling. Because the Spirit will not always strive with you. He won't always knock on the door. He's not a fool, right? If he's knocking, you stand at the door and knock. But after a while, if you're not going to answer, he sees you're not going to answer, he's going to be I'm going to knock on somebody else's door. Don't neglect what God might be saying to you right here, right now, today, this moment. Not next week, not next year. Don't wait for the New Year's resolution. If God is knocking on your door, these are God's commandments. Israel missed the final warning. Don't miss it, because you're not guaranteed a second warning. You got one warning. This is what God said. You better take heed. You better take heed. Number two, Israel's final warning reassures us the Lord only wants to help. Will you let him in and let him work? Let him in on your problem. Let there be light. Let there be light. You know what the Bible says? And there was light. <laughs> if you let there be some light, you know what's going to happen? You'll get some light. You'll get some light on a situation. You'll get some light in your mind. Will you let them? 
That was Israel's final warning. They didn't let them. Will you? And Israel's final warning reproves us for rejecting this book. Are you going to walk on? And if the Holy Spirit's knocked on your heart, knocked on your door, pricked you, tried to speak to you, you're just going to walk on? Just get back to the busyness of life. Get back to the noise that'll drown out that voice. If I could just white-knuckle the Holy Spirit one more time. No, don't do that. He wants to help. Let him in. Let him work. Don't reject him. Receive him. Receive him. Are you paying attention? Are you noticing what God wants to emphasize for you? Are you getting the message the nation so sadly missed? You know, Israel, they're supposed to be our object lesson. They're supposed to be someone we learn from. They're good examples and they're bad example. We're supposed to follow them when they follow God and learn what not to do when they did something wrong. So I encourage you, please, brethren, take heed. Because Israel's final warning could be your final warning. This could be the last day the Holy Spirit pricks you about something. The last time the Holy Spirit impresses you with something. The last time the Holy Spirit tries to get you to notice something. Don't neglect God's warnings. They're out of love. They're because he's God. They want to help. Don't reject them. Let's stand for prayer. We'll stand.